Good morning to all of you. My name is Tim Harris. I am blessed to be pastor of Woodburn Baptist Church, and I'd like to say welcome to all of you. Welcome to those of you in the overflow this morning. Welcome to those of you at the Franklin campus, all of you, all of the new members at Franklin. We love you. We love you so much. Pastor Eric, we are delighted to, to serve alongside you. Open your Bibles this morning. Two places. First to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13, and put your finger there. And then right now, I want to share a, a word to you from Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 25. Today is I love my church day. How many of you love your church? Absolutely, we all love, all love our church. At the very same time, you got to understand, we can't say that exactly. We can't say, I can't say I love my church. Why? Because it's not my church. I, I think surely you all know that, and that's why we, we use the, the tagline anyway, I love my church. But at the same time, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. Jesus said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Jesus builds his church. This church belongs to him. All of the churches belong to him. And indeed, there's only one church. that We can talk about my church, our church, this church. And from, from the level of the pew, this is the church. Woodburn Baptist Church, this body, we are the church, complete and full. We are the body of Christ. But at the same time, you've got to look from maybe 30,000 feet and look down and understand that from Christ's perspective, there's only one church, the people that belong to him of every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There is only one church, and it belongs to Christ. And oh, how he loves his church. He loves us. Have you ever fallen in love with somebody who was more or less out of your league? I know you have because I'm looking at some of you, and I can tell you right now, you are, you are sitting by somebody out of your league. I fell in love with somebody way out of my league. Casey Wilson was beautiful. She always dated jocks. She dated guys who could just rip me apart with their bare hands. She had money. She had looks. She was smart. She had a job. I was just the world's biggest derelict. I mean, I just was. There was nothing about me that would ever make you predict that that girl would fall in love with this boy. We've been married 21 years. I still think it's just hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious that I am with this woman. The other day, she said, what are you thinking? I said, I am laying here thinking that I can't believe I have a woman so far out of my league. I said that to her the other day. A woman so far out of my league. Casey said, I am not out of your league. And I'm thinking, well, not now. I've had you 21 years. I have definitely brought you down. 21 years later, we are probably, baby, in the very same league. Uh, I have definitely brought her down. But understand something. When we talk about Jesus loving us, Jesus loving the church, we are way out of our league. Do you understand that? There is nothing, nothing, nothing about us that would make him love us. It is his heart to love us. But understand what Scripture says. Understand the passion with which Scripture talks about Jesus' love for us. Jesus talks about us as his bride. We are his bride. And in Ephesians chapter 5, just quickly, I want you to see this verse for, for what it says. Ephesians chapter 5, it's talking about husband and wives, but there for a moment it stops and makes you realize that the love of a husband and wife in the most godly way is just a, a dim picture 
the passionate love of Christ for his church. And this is what it says in your Bibles and on the screens. It says, Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. You could argue that in my 21 years with Casey Wilson, I have definitely brought her down. I probably have. She's so much more redneck now than she ever was. But the process of being loved by Jesus is is a very, very amazing and, and powerful thing. Jesus, by loving us, Jesus, by calling us his bride, Jesus, by a process we call sanctification, he's making us holy so that there will come a day when, as his bride, the church, we are going to be presented to him, and we will be presented to him in a glorious way, in a righteous way, fully perfect, without spot or blemish. We are the bride of Christ, and he loves us, and he is in a process of perfecting us. I want you to think about this process as we turn back now to Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. Honestly, this is one of my favorite little stories in Scripture. Joshua chapter 5. It is the night before Jericho. The night before Jericho when Joshua will lead God's army forward into victory. It's the night before. And this is a small, very mysterious episode in the life of Joshua with an important lesson for us this morning as we think about the church. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. This is what the Word of God says. When Joshua was near the town of Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a sword in hand. Joshua went up to him and demanded, are you friend or foe? What he says is, are you on the side of us, you on our side, or are you on the side of our enemies? Are you friend or foe? Neither, he replied. I am the commander of the Lord's army. At this, Joshua fell with his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did as he was told. I'm just betting y'all can do this with me. Are you ready? Come and listen to a story about a man named Jed. Pour him out in ear, barely. Then one day he was shooting through some food and came a bubbling crude. That is, yeah, black gold, Texas tea. Now the first thing you know, old Jed's a millionaire. Ken folks said, move away from there, said, is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the truck and they Lee Hills, that is, swimming pools, movie stars. Yeah, I knew you could do that. I I knew that. I I knew that. And that's amazing to me. That's amazing to me. It actually says a whole lot about our church, to be honest. But I knew you could do that. 
How many of you, just out of curiosity, in the Overflow Franklin campus in this room, how many of you were born after the year 1971? Let me see your hands. Born after 1971. All you babies, raise your hands. After 19, about half of the congregation in this room born after the year 1971, which is interesting because that's the last year that Beverly Hillbillies was running as a first-run series on TV. It ran from 1962 to 1971, about nine years. But it's nine years before most of you were ever even born, and that's interesting. It's also interesting because that little song, the, the Ballad of Jed Clampett, I think it's called, that little 45-second song was written by the guy that created the whole series. His name was uh, Paul Henning. And Paul Henning just sat down one day and, and wrote that out as a way to open the show. It's interesting that, that, that some 40-something years later, we can still sit around and sing that song, and we can hear it just like it was yesterday. And I'm telling you, some of you weren't even alive when that show was on TV. I, I know it's still playing. Some of you think it's a new show, but I'm telling you, it, it, it was from a long time ago. It was from a long time ago. The, the thing I want to point out to you, though, is the whole issue of Paul Henning sitting down and writing that song. That, my friends, is what I call leaving a mark. He left a mark. Now, you can argue over whether or not this is a really a worthy legacy to leave that we can all sing hills, that is, black gold, Texas tea. I don't know if your life is enriched by that. But you can't argue with the fact that that man sat down one day and he left a mark. He left a mark for nine years on American society, and now some 40, 50 years later, we still can sing that song. We don't even know his name, but we know Jed Clampett. And we know that song, and it takes us back and brings a smile to our face, and that is leaving a mark. Paul Henning left a mark on your life. You don't know him. You'll never meet him. But he shaped some part of your mind, your heart. He left a mark on you. This morning, I want you to think about what it means to leave a mark to leave a mark. It means, of course, to make a difference. It means to have some sort of impact. It means to leave a handprint on the heart of someone else. We leave a mark. And all of us with our lives, we leave some kind of mark. What I want you to consider today on this day of all days, I love my church day. I want you to think about how Jesus wants the church, this church, Woodburn Baptist Church, to leave a mark. Jesus intends for Woodburn Baptist Church to leave a mark on this community, on the community of Franklin. Jesus intends for Woodburn Baptist Church to leave a mark on the world. Even as I stand right here, we have church members on, on other soil, other countries, Kelly and Trisha Lawrence in Costa Rica. Uh, we have uh, Brent Hippler in, in Panama. Our church continues to send others out all around the world, and it's amazing. This church, Woodburn Baptist Church is created to leave a mark, to make a difference, to make some sort of impact. That is what Christ has for us. It is his church, and ultimately it should be his mark left through us. Jesus wants his church to leave a mark, to make an impact, to have a difference. At the same time, I want you to understand something very, very important. As a member of Woodburn Baptist Church, you are leaving your mark on the church. You, right here this moment, you're leaving some kind of mark. 
at Franklin Campus, the, the new members there, I, I want you to hear this. You are going to leave a mark on this congregation. You're going to leave a mark on this church. The question for you is, what kind of mark are you leaving? What kind of a difference are you making? What is the handprint that you will leave on Woodburn Baptist Church? Because I'm telling you, you'll make some kind of difference. You're going to leave some kind of mark. You may leave a mark because of your passion. You'll make a difference because of your devotion and dedication. Devotion and dedication and passion leaves a mark every time, I promise you. And we can tell you stories through the years of the Winnie Mae Hoppers and the Evelyn Balances and all of the people through the years who left a mark by their devotion and commitment. But also understand, absence and apathy, that leaves a mark too. And through the years, we've had church members who by their absence or by their apathy, through their lack of commitment, they also have left a mark on the church. That also makes a difference. It's not a difference for the better. And my question for you is, what kind of church member wants to be a church member who doesn't leave the church better? What kind of a woman, what kind of a man is a church member who doesn't want to leave the church better. You're leaving a mark. The question is, what kind of a mark are you leaving? There are a couple of challenges for us in this. The first thing is, I don't ever really know what it is I do or say that leaves the mark. In the middle of my life, in the midst of our Sunday, in the midst of our weeks going by like crazy, I'll never really know that moment. And there's probably a moment, a defining moment when I leave my mark. I don't know when that is. I don't know how I could know. And you don't know either. You have no idea what day you'll say the word or what day you show up on Sunday. You'll never have any idea what decision you make. It's just very, very difficult to know that moment when you leave your mark. You just can't know as you're leaving it. It's something that we know best when we look back. It'll be, it'll be revealed in the stories that we tell about you after you're gone. It'll somehow be revealed perhaps long after you and I are gone. But the point I'm making is you'll make a difference. You'll leave your mark. You just don't necessarily know the moment at which you leave it. And you don't know necessarily what it is you say or what it is you do that leaves that mark. I don't even remember the Sunday school teacher who taught me to say, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and see all the people. I don't even know if I can tell you for sure who she was, but she left a mark on me. I still have this little hand gesture that reminds me that the church is people. She left a mark on me. Did she wake up that Sunday morning and say, I'm going to leave a mark? No, no, you never, ever no. I would say that even in the life of one like Joshua, he didn't know. And if you read a story in Scripture, you might perhaps have a little bit of a challenge in defining exactly at what moment he leaves his mark, at what moment his life is determined, and the kind of difference he makes for the people of God is, is finally settled. For many of us, we look at the end of the story when Joshua draws the line in the sand and he says those famous words of commitment, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua says that. 
And you think right there, there's a man leaving his mark. Right there, there's a man who draws a line called commitment and he steps across it and says, anybody else is going to be committed, you're going to have to step across the line called commitment. But as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Now that's making a mark. That's, that's leaving a difference. But that's at the end of his story. That's at the end of everything else. I want you to consider today that perhaps Joshua leaves his real mark much earlier. I think it maybe was this night. First time we meet Joshua in scriptures at the battle with the Amalekites, and he is the leader of the army that day for Moses. That's the story where Moses is, is actually up on the mountain, as you know, over the battle. And as long as he keeps his arms up, do you remember that story from Sunday school? Somebody left a mark by teaching you that, by the way. Uh, Moses on the mountain with his arms up, and as long as his arms were held high, the army prevailed, led by Joshua. But if Moses' arms grew tired and he dropped his arms, the, the, the army would begin to be defeated. Do you remember that story? So what happened? There were two men who stepped forward. I think it was Aaron and a man named Hur. And they came up and they held Moses' arms up. And as long as his arms were held high, the, the army led by Joshua over the Amalekites was victorious. And they were victorious that day. It's the first time we hear about Joshua. And already he is a man of courage. Already he's a man of battle. He's a man who knows how to go out and lead people. Already he's a man who knows how to fight and knows how to stand and he knows how to lead God's people into victory already the first time we meet him. From there, he plays a very minor part in Scripture for a long, long time. All through Moses' glory days, Joshua is simply his assistant, his associate pastor. He lingers somewhere in Moses' shadow. But, but don't miss the point of Scripture. Don't miss what it says about him. The scripture in one place says that Moses continues to go outside the camp and go out to the tent of meeting where God's presence was. And Moses would come and go, the scripture says, come and go from that tent where he would sit in God's presence and soak up the, the law of God and there go out and lead God's people. The scripture says Moses would come and go from that tent of meeting, but the scripture says Joshua stayed there. Joshua stayed there in that tent of meeting. Joshua stayed there in God's presence. Joshua stayed there and he simmered and he soaked in worship. He sat there and he let God's law continue to wash over him. And the holiness and blinding light of God's presence, Joshua stayed there. Moses came and went. Joshua stayed in the tent of meeting, God's presence. When you see a young man worshiping like that, then you've got to understand God is getting that person ready for greatness. It usually begins somewhere in God's presence, somewhere way out of the spotlight, somewhere way out of the attention of the people. That's where God prepares you for something great. And right now, some of you at this moment in your life, that's how you feel. You feel like God has placed you on a shelf. You feel like God is not using you as if doors of opportunity aren't opening up. And I'm telling you, that's a very important place to be. You need to stay there. You need to stay right there in God's presence. You need to stay there and let him build something inside of you. Let God shape your heart. Let him prepare you for great things. Because if you will stay in God's presence, if you will devote yourself to him, God will use you to do something great. 
but it's not rust. Joshua stays there, stays in God's presence for the longest time. But then his moment comes, the day comes. Moses is dead. And the children of Israel are ready now to be going into God's presence, going into the promised land. And Joshua is going to lead them. And the very first battle in the promised land is going to be that famous battle of Jericho. You know that story, how Joshua fit the battle of Jericho, how he lines the people up, how he puts the horn blowers and those who are going to shout praise out front. And that's a shot of praise. The walls of Jericho come up, tumbling down. Absolutely. You know that story. And you think, there, that's where Joshua leaves his mark, out there in front, leading the people, shouting praise and watching the walls come down. I still say, probably not. I think he leaves his mark this night. Nobody else was there, really. Joshua's getting ready for the biggest day of his life. He's getting ready to leave his mark. He's doing some sort of reconnaissance around the city of Jericho, a a, a good general, a good captain of the Lord's army, perhaps. He's doing some reconnaissance, and he's out by himself. And there, outside the city of Jericho, Joshua encounters a a man, a a man, a, a mighty soldier standing there with a sword drawn. Now, if you come up on a man with a sword drawn, what does that say about that man? He's ready for the fight. He's prepared for battle. Joshua comes up on a man with a drawn sword. And Joshua asks the obvious question. What does he ask? Whose side are you on? Are are you friend or foe? Uh, Literally what he says is, are you on our side or are you on the side of our enemy? This is not a yes or no question. You understand that? Are you on our side or the side of our enemy? But the answer from the man with the drawn sword is simple and absolutely amazing. His answer is simply no. I remind you, that's not a yes or no question. It's a very specific question. Whose side are you on? Our side? You on my side or their side? And his answer is neither. No. Simply no. But as the captain of the Lord's army, I have come. Well, wait a minute. Joshua's thinking, I thought that's what I was. Did you understand? Joshua is the captain of the Lord's army, isn't he? Joshua is going to lead the people into battle, isn't he? He says, as the captain of the Lord's army, I have come. And Joshua's thinking, wait a minute, I thought that was me. No, honestly, Joshua quickly understands who he's standing before. What does he do? Falls on his face. He falls on his face. And he says, I am at your command. What do you want me to do? My friends, that right there is a man leaving his mark. That moment there, that determines the whole course of his life, that moment right there. It's the moment when he recognizes that he is not a man in authority, he is a man under authority. He recognizes right there that he is not necessarily what everybody says he is. He is not really the captain of the Lord's army. There is a captain of the Lord's army, and he's not it. He understands very, very quickly he is not in charge. God is in charge, and he falls on his face. That, my friends, is a person leaving his mark. 
the lessons from this are very, very important in my life and in your life. Very, very important for us to have a moment like this in our own lives, in our Christian lives. A moment when you come to recognize that honestly it's not about you. It's honestly not about me. It is not for us. It has nothing to do with us, really. And this is that moment for Joshua. Honestly, he is the captain of the Lord's army. Honestly, Joshua is the captain, but he's not at the very same time. Honestly, he is in charge, but truthfully, he's not. That's the point. He is not the man in authority. He is a man under authority. He's standing face to face here with God because he worships. And there's no no hint that he should get off of his face. That's where he belongs. It's the same kind of moment that Moses had before the burning bush. It's that kind of take off your shoes and, and worship here because the ground on which you're standing is holy, holy ground. It's that kind of moment. And this is the defining moment of Joshua's life when he falls on his face before the one who is in the position to command his life. That, my friends, is a man leaving his mark. You and I will never be able to leave our mark. We'll never be able to fulfill God's purposes for us until we realize it's not for us. It's not about us. Truly, it's not our church. It's not my church. I am blessed to be the smallest, smallest part of this. But it's not about me. It doesn't turn around me. It has very, very little to do with me. And the same is true for you. The same is true for you, always true for all of us. Joshua, in this moment, has this choice to make. It's that moment when he has to understand that he is standing in the presence of God. And he is to be God's servant. And God has not come to take his side. God has not come to be an itty-bitty foot soldier in Joshua's army. But honestly, that's often what we want. We want to command our lives. We want to be in charge. We want to dream our dreams and do our thing. And we just hope and pray that God will line up behind us and bless us. We want God to come around and give us what we want. We want God to come around behind us and make sure that all of our battles get won and that all of our dreams come true and that we get everything we want in life. And God is saying, I'll have nothing to do with that. Joshua says, are are you on my side or their side? And the answer is simply, no. No. God doesn't come to take sides. God comes to take over. He comes to take over. This is the moment when it is set before Joshua. God is in one way or another saying, I have come to give you an opportunity to be a part of what I am doing. But I have no interest in being a part in what you're doing. This is the only way we can serve God. It's the only way we can be the church. It's the only way we can leave the mark that God wants us to leave. On our face before him. God's not interested in being a little character in the story that stars you. This is not a show all about you or a show all about me. This is a grand story, a large cosmic story, and it is God's story from start to finish. And we have this very, very brief moment, the shortest of moments that is our lives. And during this time, God offers us the most magnificent 
opportunity to play our part in his story. He for us or against us, Joshua says, no, God says. Now, before you leave your mark, but before you prepare to make the difference that you think you're going to make in the world or in this church, you need not to ask who's on my side. You really need to ask, whose side am I on? And we need to be on God's side. It is his army. He is the commander. We fall in line behind him. We fall on our faces in his presence. He gives us the opportunity to live this amazing story. But it's not a story about me. It's not even a story about you. It's the story about God and his grace and his love and his judgment and his final victory over everything that is evil. It's that story. You're invited to be a part of that. You're invited to be part of that story. Don't you understand? It's his church. Don't you understand? The battle is the Lord's. You and I have the smallest smallest part to play. The question is, will we play our part well? Talked about leaving your mark. Talked about leaving my mark. Let's be real honest here. To live, to live, to live, to leave my mark is just the smallest thing in the world to give my life to. Honestly, in so many ways, I pray I don't leave my mark on this church because I know myself. I know myself. I know how quickly I get in the flesh. I know how quickly I can not follow through on what God calls me to do. I know how quickly it is that I can start looking for my way and not God's way. Honestly, I pray from the bottom of my heart I don't leave my mark on this church. I guess what I pray is that somehow I can put myself in the place by the grace of Jesus that he can leave his mark through me. That's what I want to happen. And I guess that's what you should desire as well. Not for you to make your difference, not for you to leave your mark or have your influence, not for you to have your way, but honestly, for God to have his way. That's what we all must say. It's the only way, the only posture from which we can live our lives, on our face before him, praying with all of our hearts that he will leave his mark through us. In your life, you're going to leave a mark. You're going to leave a mark on this church, but let's set that aside for a moment. You're leaving a mark on your family as a father, you're leaving your mark on your children. What kind of mark are you leaving? You'll leave a mark by your presence and your passion, or you'll leave a mark by your absence and your apathy. But don't be mistaken, you're leaving a mark. As married people, you leave a mark, a handprint on one another's heart, and nothing ever erases that. What kind of a mark are you leaving on the heart of your spouse? You'll leave a mark by your presence and your passion. You'll leave a mark by your absence and your apathy. But be not mistaken, you will leave a mark. You're leaving a mark on all of the lives of your friends. You're leaving a, a mark at Franklin Simpson High School or Greenwood High School or Bowling Green High School. You're leaving a mark. The question is, what kind of mark are you leaving? And the challenge for you in your life is not to leave your mark so much and certainly not to live your life to leave your mark, but to live your life in such a way where God leaves his mark through you.
I want God to leave his mark through me. Absolutely, Joshua drew the line in the sand one day and said, you're going to have to choose this day whether or not you're going to serve the Lord. But as for me and my house, we will. And he draws that line and steps across it. But that's the end of this story. Of course he led the battle of Jericho. Of course the walls came tumbling down at the shout of praise. Of course they did. And Joshua led that. But I don't think that's the day he really left his mark. I don't think that's the day. I think it was that moment, that moment in the dark outside of Jericho that night where he encountered the true captain of the Lord's army with his sword drawn and Joshua fell on his face and said, tell me what you want me to do. If you really want to leave your mark in this life, brothers and sisters, you really want to leave a mark on this church, then on your face before the one who has the authority to command your life. Ask him what he wants you to do. Then rise and do it. When you obey him, when you let him command you, he will leave his mark through your life. Pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, all of us somehow imagine that we are, we are somehow the, the, the star. We play the starring role in the movie of our lives. Lord, all of us want to be the hero of our own story somehow. Lord, all of us tend to think mostly about ourselves, and we forget that we are called to be a part of something larger, something greater, grander, more beautiful. We are called to be a part of the bride of Christ, the church. Lord Jesus, how quickly we forget to fall on our faces before you, put ourselves on your side. Lord Jesus, we know that there's much you want to do in our lives, much you want to do in our families, much you want to do in our church, Lord, and in the community and the world. And Lord, we know that you want to use us to do that. Truly, you will use us and we will leave some kind of mark. Lord, I pray that it's not our mark that we leave, but truly, Lord, it will be your hand working through our hands, leaving your mark through us. Lord Jesus, we simply offer ourselves afresh today to be your servants, your church. Lord Jesus, we love your church. Most of all, Lord Jesus, we love you. Change us, sanctify us, purify us, so that on the day we finally see you face to face and are united with you as your bride, we will be presented to you faultless, blameless, pure, and holy, just as you are. Oh God, leave your mark of holiness in us. We pray these things for Jesus' sake. Amen.